0: Amen. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We've been uh, teaching for a long time on um, the subject of faith. And uh, we've entitled this Midweek Service Faith Seminar. And I'm not through with it yet. Uh, I don't know how long it'll go, but um, I'm just taking it week by week. But tonight I want to talk to you about faith. Um, and one of the things Jesus said would, uh, was a hindrance to faith. Jesus, after having cursed the fig tree and the disciples saw it dried up from the roots the next morning... Uh, and they questioned him. Well, really, they just drew it to his attention. But it seems that there was an implied question there. Jesus answered, verse 22. Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. I like another translation. It says, uh, have the faith of God. But the original Greek says, reckon on God's faithfulness. I really like that. Reckon on God's faithfulness. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times we talk about faith. And, and, and rightly so. I'm, I know that uh, some people criticize those of us that preach faith. Um, by saying we make too much of a uh, um, put too much of an emphasis on it, make too much of a big deal on, on the subject of faith, but i don 't think you can do that I, I mean if that was uh, if it was something else it was we were leaving out uh, to preach faith, and I, I might understand the criticism but um, but faith is is something that 's um, not a formula. Faith is something that 's not a, a a way to to get what you want from God um, by pulling this lever or pushing that button or something like that. Faith is a relationship with God. And if you don't understand faith, it means you don't understand how to have a relationship with God. Because there's only two ways you can have a relationship with God, one's through prayer and one's through the Word. But unless you're praying the Word, you can't really have a relationship with God through prayer. So it all comes down to His Word. So if you don't have a relationship with with God through His Word, then you don't have a relationship with God at all. That doesn't mean somebody's not saved. That means somebody hasn't made heaven their home, and when they die, then uh, uh, heaven will receive them. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about having a relationship with with him now. You know, it's one thing to be um, part of an organization; it's another thing to be in the inner workings of it. You know, you can you can join anything and everything out there, but it's another thing to be involved. And the Word of God is what gets you involved with God on a personal basis. And if you don't understand the word of God, if you don't understand the, the, um, the love and the willingness of God on your behalf that's behind every word that he spoke, then you're never going to have a relationship with him. I think that's one place where people make a mistake, at least in my experience. It seems that a lot of people make a mistake, and I see this um, amplified by, um, by some of the criticism against uh, faith teaching or so-called faith teaching. Uh, I, I reject that notion anyway. Faith is just a byproduct of the word where the word of God is preached. Faith is going to result. So if there's not faith present, that means the word is not being preached. So it's not the faith message. It's the word of God. But anyway, I, I, in some of the criticism that uh, that you hear and some of the things that you see and read about that people say, it seems to me that they have uh, their understanding of faith um, or their understanding of how faith is preached or whatever the best way to say it would be is that, They think that it's a formula that man is encouraged to use by wrong teachers to get what they want from God and leaving God out of the equation. But folks, the only reason faith works is because God is faithful to his word. Faith doesn't work because you're strong or I'm strong. Faith works because God is faithful to honor his word. So you can't truly operating faith now I'm not saying everybody that, that's out there that teaches faith is doing it the right way or with the right spirit that's not, up to, not for me to judge but you can't have a true operation of Bible faith in your life without having a relationship with God which is the reason why a lot of people's faith doesn't work they don't have a relationship with God they're trying to get what they've heard somebody preach or they've heard some story identify they're trying to get something that they want whether for the right reason or for the wrong reason. But it's about a relationship with God. It's about God honoring his word to show you how much he cares for you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Have faith in God. Jesus didn't say, yeah, I prayed the day before this happened, and I I really, you know, shored up my spiritual strength so that this would work, so that you guys would have an example. No, he's got a relationship with God. He's going down the road, and he sees something that's not a place, so he speaks to it. It's based on his relationship with God. He doesn't stop and makes a, make a big show and say, all right, guys, here's a special miracle that's going to be performed. He's just got a relationship with God. And that relationship with God, he understands, enables him to have authority to correct something that's out of place. And he does. And now he's explaining to you and me as well as the disciples what the, the inner workings of that really is. He says, have faith in God or reckon on God's faithfulness. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. So apparently it works for whosoever. It doesn't work for whosoever works the formula. It works for whosoever will have the relationship with God to make it work. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be, unto, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught or anything against one, that your father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Please notice verses 25 and 26. I know we put the emphasis many times on verses 23 and 24. And rightly so, because it's so contrary to our natural way of thinking. But notice verse 25, Jesus tells us what will keep the prayer of faith from working. He said, when you stand praying, forgive. Why? Because if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. Now, let me ask you a question, folks. Is that the way it works now? Does God forgive only when you forgive? Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, it says we're supposed to forgive others even as God has already forgiven us. Well, how are we supposed to forgive others? The way he forgave us. Did you deserve it before he forgave you? No, he forgave you in the work of Jesus. So Jesus is giving them some instructions that applies to the time when he was here on the earth before he went to the cross. Now, the principle is the same. But the principle is easily misunderstood if you don't know the difference between the old covenant and new covenant provisions. Under the old covenant provisions, God would do unto you as you did unto others. Under the new covenant, the law of love is in effect. The law of love is the only commandment we have, and that is to walk in love. It supersedes, it fulfills all of the Old Testament law. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Well, what does that mean? That means all the Old Testament commandments. There are 630 specific commandments and instructions in the Old Testament that every Jew was responsible to keep. You've got one. And yours is harder than theirs. We may think. Boy I'm so glad we don't have 630. Well the one you have to keep. Is going to be harder than theirs. Because you're responsible to keep. The law of love. The way God kept it towards you. So the principle is simply this. You can't expect to get spiritual results. You can't expect to get faith results. If you don't walk in the spirit. Walking in the spirit. And walking in love are synonymous terms. So what he's saying very simply is this. He's saying when you stand praying, the only thing, the only, the and, and in the four Gospels, you can look at it for yourself. In the four Gospels, this is the only thing Jesus ever said that would uh, hinder or block faith from working. Only thing. So it must be pretty important. Must be pretty important. Now, one of the... Um, uh, one of the stories that, that I first heard when I got around Brother Hagen, went to Raymond got around Brother Hagen. one of the first stor- stories that I heard along this line, because I never heard anybody talk about walking in love. I never heard anybody talking about that. I heard some growing up in the church about forgiveness and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but most of that was God's forgiveness of us. It had very little to do. I remember very little, if anything, being talked about, you know, us forgiving one another and getting along and stuff like that. And rightly so, because in the churches that I had grown up in, you talked about getting along you'd have a church split because that was the deal the churches ran on one gr- group working against another and trying to get what they wanted and stuff like that as a kid i didn't know so much of that was going on but as i grew up a little bit and started getting into teenagers i, I, I saw i realized one day that people are sat, sitting on two sides of the church the center section was kind of no man's land you got one group over here and you got another group over there and sometimes a brave soul would wander off into the middle we recognized those as visitors and, I, and I'm not saying all churches are that way, but that was the church, the, the way the church was where I grew up. It was, uh, it was more of a social scene. It was more of a uh, political context and that, you know, like that and, and, uh, and so forth. So I never heard anything about walking in love or forgiveness except for God's forgiveness of us. So when I got around Brother Haken and I started hearing him teach on love, and he taught more on love than anything else I ever heard. I, I thought I was going to Raymond to learn about faith. I got there and heard about love. That's one of the misnomers that people had that didn't, that didn't really spend a lot of time with Brother Hagen. They thought that he was a faith teacher in anything and everything. And he'd even say things like this. He'd even say, no matter what text I start off with, I'll always wind up speaking about faith or faith and healing. Well, that was true enough. But I, I remember more sermons. There were more sermons that he preached on love. I say more sermons. It was really the same sermon he preached over and over and over again. He didn't have a lot of different sermons on love. He just kept hammering that one sermon. And as a result, I know his stories about love perfectly. I mean, after a while, they just sink in. But I heard him tell a story about walking in love one day and, and the impact it has on, on uh, faith. And he was teaching on the seven most important things you need to know about faith. And this was number four or five in the list. And that is faith works by love. And he told a story about how he was in um, uh, Graham, Texas, 1950. Told you under to it. He was in Graham, Texas, 1950. He was there for a couple of weeks meeting in the full gospel church there in town. And there was, uh, it wasn't the pastor or his wife, but there were some other ministers that Brother Hagan and his wife had, uh, Mrs. Hagen, had known from years back. And they were in these services. As a matter of fact, they were part of this church. They weren't, uh, uh, they had been pastors before, but they weren't any longer. And so they were part of the church. And uh, so they knew that, uh, that the Hagens knew that they would see them and reacquaint, you know, renew acquaintance with them and stuff like that while they were there and, and uh, Brother Hagen's just going along, minding his own business. After one of the morning services, uh, she came up to him and she said, uh, uh, I've talked to the pastor and his wife. Uh, we'd like to join you for lunch. So the six of them went out to lunch. He said, yeah, that's fine. And, and the pastor and his wife were gracious enough to include them because of their friendship with the Hagens and uh, a lot of the after-service activities and things like that they had going on that week or during the, the meeting. So anyway, they went to lunch, and she said, Brother Hagin, you've got me all in a mess. And Brother Hagen said, no, sister. Actually, she said, she said, you've got me confused. He said, no, sister, I don't have you confused. You were confused before I got here. The light of God's word just showed it up. But he said, so what are you confused about? Now, remember, they've known these people for, for 20-something years at this point in time, I guess. Long time, good friends. She said, well, you were teaching, and you said, you used that scripture over in 1 John, that he that hateth his brother is a murderer, and hath, no, hath not eternal life within him. He said, "Yeah, I used that. I sure did." He said, "What's your problem?" She said, "I hate my mother-in-law." He said, well, Now he knows her. He knows she's full. You know, he knows she's an ordained minister. She's filled with the Spirit. He has known her for years. He knows she's saved, and and so forth. But he just held her feet to the fire. He said, "Well, okay, that's it. If you hate your mother-in-law, you're not saved." She said, "I know you're teasing, but I'm really not sure." I'm just all twisted up about this thing. So he let her wind around a little bit and, uh, for a few minutes. And he said, uh, she told him a little bit of the story. He knew a little bit of it, but not too much um, or not as much as she told him. The, the deal was this. The, she had married into a family with um, this guy had two older brothers. I'm sorry, two older sisters. And uh, he was the baby of the family. And his dad died when he was five or six years old. And so the mother and these two older sisters had raised this guy, and told him what to do all of his life. Well, now he gets married; and his wife wants to tell him what to do, and so you get a conflict. You got mama and, and older sisters that are used to telling him what to do, and and now the the uh, the daughter, not the daughter, the daughter-in-law, the wife of the guy, uh, it's it's just created some problems. And so she went into some detail about what some of the things that had been said and. You know, there was ugliness all over the place in, this, in the deal and, and so forth. So she just said, I just gave up on it a long time ago. and I just hate my mother-in-law. And so Brother Hagin said, all right. He said, well, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to look across the table at me and look me right in the eye and say, I hate my mother-in-law. And when you do that, check down on the inside of you to see what's happening. So she looked him in the eye and said, I hate my mother-in-law. He said, what's happening down inside? She said, something down there scratched me. He said, well, of course, that's your spirit. It's your spirit that's trying to get your attention. Because the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. When did that happen? When we got saved. See, you've got God's love in you just as much as the person that you admire the most for walking in love. You may not have developed it to the same degree that they have, but you've got the same God kind of love on the inside of you that they do. So Brother Higgins said, that's your spirit trying to get your attention to get you to walk in love instead of the way that you're operating she said well what am I going to do he said act like you do love them go ahead and walk in love and act like you love them no matter how you feel about it treat them the way that you would if you did love them because you really do so some time goes by several days goes by and uh, and so um, the wife calls uh, uh, Mrs. Hagan um during the afternoon after the morning service one afternoon and that kind of thing he said I'd like to invite you and, and uh, brother Hagen over to my house I'm going to have my mother-in-law and, and uh, the two sisters and their families and just just have a whole thing the pastor and his wife are coming so we would just love to have you come so brother Hagen agreed he said okay knowing the situation he kind of wanted to see what was going on so he he agreed and said all right that's that's fine we'll be glad to come so they did, they went over there and, and it was a nice evening, everybody was getting along and everybody was having a good time and during the, the, during the uh, activities or, you know, everybody milling around, she came over and whispered in Brother Hagin's ear, she said, you're right, Brother Hagin, I don't hate them. They're lovely people. I, once I started, once I chose to walk in love and started acting like it, everything's worked out just wonderfully. I don't know why it took me so long to start doing this. Well Brother Hagin was glad for, her and everything was was fine and so forth. They got into the second week of the meeting now this family the the wife that now walking in love toward her mother-in-law and her uh, brother, sisters and so forth she and her husband had three kids uh, the youngest child was adopted, and for two two and a half years of the of the child's life was in perfect health but about two and a half uh, the child developed, started having these seizures, some these fits, or something. They didn't know what it was, so they took him to several doctors and tried to find out what was going on. Wound up with a specialist, and uh, the specialist identified or diagnosed the child as having epilepsy. And he said, uh, "I never really intended to, but it kind of, kind of turned out that that I'm the foremost specialist in this area, this region of the country, in this uh, in this regard. And I, these are the only cases that I ever see anymore." And he said, in the experience that I've had, in the years that I've been doing this, the brainwave test and everything shows this to be the worst case that I've ever seen. Well, they diagnosed some uh, medication for them, and the medication didn't stop the seizures, but it kind of it took the edge of them off and, and uh, reduced them somewhat in, in frequency and, and that type of thing. They were doing everything they could. Well, this child now is... Uh, uh, that was uh, about five years. This uh, the situation with Brother Hagen, when he was there is about five years after the fact. And so they've been on medication for the time being, trying to believe God for the healing of the child. And uh, somewhere along the way, maybe a year or so before, the, um, uh, the mother, in praying about it, and she talked to it over with her husband. But in praying about it, really felt like she needed to get this child off of uh, medication. So she did. She, uh, she quit the medication. And the child was doing fine, and it was, uh, it was not a problem. He was just, you know, doing okay. It wasn't, real, uh, wasn't a real noticeable change, but the medication would affect the child in other ways and uh, behavioral and so, so forth. So she was really, really working hard to try to keep her off this medication. So she felt a, a, a witness in her spirit that it would be okay to, to get her off, and she was doing fine. But during the meeting, she called Brother Hagen one afternoon and said, "Uh, Brother Hagen, could you come over here on the way to church? I know it's just an hour or so before church now, but could you come over uh, on your way to church? Um, Little daughter, Claire, whatever her name was, uh, Claire started having one of these fits. Apparently there would be some things that would happen that would signal that she was going to go into one of these epileptic fits without just, you know, coming out of the blue type thing. They kind of saw one coming. And so uh, Brother Hagen said, yeah, okay, well, we're just getting ready to leave now. We'll swing by there on the way. So Brother Hagin said that on the way to, the, to uh, this lady's house, um, the Lord spoke to him. He's driving in the car, and the Lord spoke to him and said, don't pray for her. Don't pray for the child. He said, tell the mother. And he gave, some, gave him some specific instructions to tell the mother. Now, here's what he said. When he got there, here's what he said. He told the mother, the Lord told me not to pray for the child but to tell you this. The Old Testament blessing of God was, if you keep my commandments and watch in my, walk in my statues, I'll take sickness from the midst of you in the number of your days you'll fulfill. He said, now the Old Testament commandments have been fulfilled by the one commandment of walking in love. So to make this a New te- Testament or a New Covenant application, if you walk in love, God will take sickness away from the midst of you in the number of your days you'll fulfill. He said, here's what the Lord told me to tell you. Now at this time, this this little girl was going through some of these things These preliminary symptoms and and that type of thing. And the way that it worked is they would get worse and worse and worse. And then the big seizure would hit. So the child is getting worse and worse and worse all the time Brother Hagen is talking. And he said, here's what the Lord told me. The Lord told me to tell you, say, devil, I'm walking in love. Take your hands off my child. Well, he hadn't gotten those words out of his mouth until the lady picked up on that, turned around, looked at her daughter and said, Satan, you take your hands off my child. I'm walking in love. And Brother Hagin said, as fast as you can snap your fingers, it stopped, and that was the end of it. Now, he, she didn't have another one for five years later. He said to the best of, her, of his knowledge, she never had another one for the rest of her life. He, if, he, if she did have one, it, didn't, it wasn't something that was ever told him about. As far as he knew, that was the end of the story. Now, let me ask you a question. This is the is intended and it certainly had this impact on me to intended to encourage you to encourage us all that the Bible is true where it talks about the importance and the value of walking in love. Uh, Galatians chapter five, verse six says in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. The word availeth there means to, to hold force. In other words, what you do, circumcision and uncircumcision is uh, Uh, references the law of moses the keeping of the law of moses there's no physical action that you take that makes force or power available well what does then For in christ jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything but faith which worketh by love now why was paul inspired by the holy ghost to tell us that faith works by love see folks i don't want to just know what i want to know why because if i can know why then i can learn to think right I think a lot of times the things that that hold us back, at least the things that hold me back, is when I know what, but I haven't figured out why yet. If I know why, then I don't know how to think right. And the renewed mind, you'll, you'll speak and you'll believe according to what you think. Sooner or later, your thinking will control your believing. So if we can get our thinking straightened out, if we can get our thinking operating in the correct manner, then we can understand and speak and operate according to the things of God. I don't believe Jesus walked around like a robot just saying the right stuff. I believe he understood. Now why was the Holy Ghost tell Paul to tell us the same thing that Jesus said to the disciples about walking in love? And we would all agree that unforgiveness is the number one hindrance, the number one problem we have as far as walking in love. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's when people do us wrong and we are um, um, tempted to be offended at them and hold a grudge against them. That's the biggest problem I ever have with walking in love. Isn't the same thing true for you? Well, sure, it's the way the devil works against all of us. So, why would God tell the whole, why would the Holy Ghost tell Paul to tell us that faith works by love? Well, I think for a number of reasons. First of all, the implication is faith won't work without it. Now, why why won't faith work without it? Because, folks, faith is not a formula. Faith is a part of the nature of God that you've been created to be alike. Faith is part of the very nature of God Himself. You remember that John told us and wrote to the, to the church. John said that God is love. He didn't say God has love. He said God is love. Well, if we're new creatures, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What old things have passed away and what all things became new? Well, the old nature, the old nature that didn't have the love of God is a part of it. The old nature that was an unbelieving, hard-hearted nature is done away with now we're tenderhearted toward God now the measure of faith has been placed within us now God's love has been shed abroad in our heart in other words faith and love are expressions of the character of the new man that we've been created to be it's not a matter of being a formula it's a matter of being like God How many of you are familiar with scriptures that talk about with God all things are possible? What does it mean to be with God? It doesn't say for God all things are possible. It says with God all things are possible. Jesus went into great detail in John chapter 17 to tell us, to pray for us that we would be one with the Father even as he was one with the Father. What does with God mean? It means in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that you have been seated together with Christ, with Christ, in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? That means you're in Christ with the Father. So where the Bible says all things are possible with God, it means all things are possible to him that's in God, in Christ Jesus, with God through Christ Jesus. That means you. Now turn with me over to Galatians chapter 5. I want to point something out to you here. Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to kind of hit the high spots here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through the individual verses. But I want you to notice some things that Paul is inspired to write to us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 is the one that, uh, that I referred to a little bit ago. Let's start with that one. For in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Now, what is he talking about and why is he talking about walking in love? Skip with me over to verse 16. He said, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Isn't it interesting that he's talking about walking in the spirit in relation to faith working by love? Why is that? Because walking in love is walking in the spirit. He tells us what the, what the aspects or the characteristics of walking in the Spirit are and how the Spirit lusts against the flesh. Verse 17, the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. In other words, that's where the fight's going to be in your earthly walk. The Bible identifies two different parts. There's two different uh, opposing forces. One is the flesh and one is the Spirit. Now, we should be familiar with the flesh. It's the, it's the way that we're accustomed or used to do things before we found Jesus. It's the things that we're normally um, predisposed to do before we renew our mind to what the word says. It's the way man operates. The flesh lusts against the spirit. Notice it didn't say the devil lusts against the spirit. It says the flesh lusts against the spirit. Now, the spirit he's talking about is not the Holy Spirit. It's talking about your spirit. How do we know? Because the Holy Ghost doesn't have flesh to fight against. But you do. The spirit he's talking about here is the recreated human spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has no trouble with flesh whatsoever. Yours or anybody else's. He doesn't have any, but he doesn't have any trouble with yours or anybody else's. But you do. The fight's not between God and the flesh. The fight is between your spirit and your flesh. Now the flesh, notice it's talking about the flesh. We usually associate that with the body. Notice the mind or the soul is not not mentioned here. Well, what part and what role does the mind or the soul play? Well, you can either renew your mind and soul to the word so that it's motivated by your spirit or you can allow it to be dominated by your flesh. In other words, your mind, your soul will side in on whichever way you let it go. It'll either go with your flesh and team up two against one against your spirit or if you renew your mind to the word, then your spirit and your mind, meaning your soul, We'll team up against your flesh and you'll be victorious to walk in the flesh. I'm sorry, to walk in the spirit. So he's saying walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. A better translation is to keep you from doing the things that you want to do from the inside. Now he talks about works of the flesh and then he gets down to verse 22 and talks about what the fruit of the spirit is. But the fruit of the spirit, notice the first one, is love. Fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now folks, I would submit to you, if you're not walking in love, you're not going to have joy. If you're not walking in love, you're not going to have peace. If you're not walking in love, none of the rest of these are going to fit. I would further submit to you that these are subsets of love. Otherwise, God would have given us a bunch of different commandments. This commandment I give unto you that you walk in joy. A new commandment I give unto you that you walk in peace. A new commandment I give unto you that you be temperate. He didn't say that. He said, a new commandment I give unto you that you walk in love. That you love one another. These these, uh, uh, fruit of the Spirit... Uh, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance are all subsets or subdivisions of love. They're not possible unless you're walking in love. At least not to the greatest degree uh, that it's available to you. Because there's one commandment, and that's the law of love. I look at it like this. It's kind of like an orange. You peel an orange, and it's got a bunch of different sections, but it's one fruit. I think the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's got a section of joy. It's got a section of peace and long-suffering and faithfulness and meekness and temperance. All these are subsets. All these are part of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. The only thing that would make us think otherwise is the punctuation. And when the original text was written, there was no punctuation. So if the translators can punctuate it the way they want to, so can I. And so can you. And you might have a little better influence of the Spirit of God than they did to make the punctuation. So he talks about fruit of the Spirit. Now notice in verse, uh, verse skip with me over to chapter. Well, let me, let me read a couple before we get down there. Look at verse 25, Galatians five twenty-five. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The word if there is the word since. There are four different words that are used in the Greek language that are translated if in the New Testament. The first tense is this one, and it means if, meaning since. Since we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, we do live in the Spirit. We're in Christ Jesus, which means we live in the Spirit. Well, then we ought to walk in the Spirit. We ought to walk according to the way that we live. We ought to walk according to the new creation that we've been made. Don't you agree? That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying. Chapter 6 verse 1, If brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, let considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice he's still talking about walking in love. He's still talking about walking in the Spirit. He's still talking about the same exact thing. He's saying that if you see somebody stumble, help him out. If you see somebody under a burden, help them with that. Don't just drop them. Don't just be hard-hearted about it and say, well, tough for you. You ought to be spiritual like me. He's saying help one another out. Now skip down with me to verse 7. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now a lot of times we connect that with verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate, meaning give, unto him that teaches in all good things. But Paul is talking about a lot more than just giving here. Because if we we just uh, narrow it down to giving, then we'd have to say that God could be deceived in other areas, but not where finances are concerned. No, God's not deceived about anything. He says, be not deceived. God's not mocked about anything. What does he mean? He means walk in the spirit even where your finances are concerned. Let your spirit dominate your giving, not your flesh. Any of you ever been tempted to not give? Man, that's a big one, isn't it? We look at our bank book and we say, well, we don't have enough money left for the month. We better hold back. But our heart's telling us to do something otherwise. Which one are we going to listen to? Whichever one dominates you. Either your flesh, man's way of thinking, or what your heart's trying to get you to do. A lot of times in situations like that, God's trying to find a way to bring blessing to you. But he's got to get you acting on the word. Give and it'll be given unto you so that he can bring blessing. See, a lot of times people want you to pray about things when they won't, aren't willing to do what the word says. I've had so many people say, Pastor Mike, pray for me. Pray for my healing. Well, that's great. I'll talk to him, try to get him in faith. I've had people just say, Pastor Mike, I just can't believe. Just pray for me that I'll be healed anyway. Well, what are they asking me to do? They're asking me to ask God to violate his word. You think God's going to hear a prayer like that? Of course not. God's got to get us acting on his word so that he can bring the blessing of the word to us. So notice again in verse 7, he said, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever, whatsoever, everybody say whatsoever, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And now he's got to be talking about something more than just money in verse 6. Whatsoever a man sows, not just money that man sows, but whatsoever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. So this is a principle that applies to everything. Right? Verse 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, remember who Paul is writing to. If he's writing to sinners, unsaved people, then we would have to conclude that Paul is saying, if you're willing to sow to the Spirit, meaning believe the word about Jesus being crucified for you and resurrected, then you could get born again he's writing to people that are already born again he's writing to people that he got born again when he was there in the region of Galatia and have been growing in the things of God ever since so what does he mean when he talks about reaping life everlasting he's talking about reaping the benefits of what Jesus purchased for us when he did go to the cross and was raised from the dead like healing for example like provision for example like peace for example So what he's saying here is, if you sow to the flesh, you can't get spiritual results. How do we sow to the flesh? One way Jesus said is to walk in unforgiveness. Jesus said unforgiveness would stop the prayer of faith from working. So that's what Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost. He's saying if you sow to the flesh, if you walk in unforgiveness rather than walking in love... Don't think that you're going to get spiritual results. Don't think that you're going to get the answers to prayers. Now why? Because God doesn't like us? No. Because faith only works when the character and the nature of God is in play. Not God's character and in nature in, from heaven. God's character and nature through you. That's why faith works by love. Because when you walk in love, you are sowing to the Spirit and therefore have a right to receive life everlasting. The benefits of anything and everything Jesus purchased for us. Now what did Jesus purchase for us? Ephesians 1 says. That we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Anything and everything you'll ever need. Anything and everything you'll ever need. The point is very simply this folks. Faith is a relationship. Walking in love works. Makes your faith work. Because faith is a relationship with God. Faith is you living out Jesus' life here on the earth. Faith, walking in love, is you living out Jesus' life here on the earth. Any of these fruit of the Spirit, walking in joy, walking in peace, walking in long-suffering, all of those is walking out Jesus' life here on the earth. And you cannot, any more than you could, than the devil or any obstacle or any problem could have kept Jesus' faith from working, you can't, you meaning the devil, can't stop the faith of someone that's walking in love. Now I don't know about you. But thinking that way helps me. Because see I've got the devil sitting on my shoulder from time to time. And he'll say well you know if your faith was working it would worked by now. Yeah the Bible says whatever things you desire when you pray. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. But something must be keeping God from making you have it now. And it kind of creates if you think along those lines. It'll create an adversarial position against you and God. But remember what the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. Don't ever let the devil put you on the other side of the street from God. Don't ever, 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 ever let the the devil put you on the other side of the street from God. How do you keep from that, Pastor Mike? I've been believing for a long time. I've been standing in faith for a long time. Well, it may take a long time for the word to work in your situation. I don't know. But I know God's not against you. I know He's not holding out on you. Turn with me over to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. Paul talked about this again, talk, writing to the Romans. Let's start reading in verse uh, Where do we want to start? Let's start in verse 31. Paul said, what shall we say then to these things? If, here's one of those first tense ifs, meaning since, S-I-N-C-E, since God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, notice what Paul is saying. He's saying God is for you. Why? Because you're in Christ Jesus. You're on God's side. You put yourself on God's side when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. And since God is for you, God is for you, folks, in everything that you do, whether it looks like things are working or not, God is for you. Oh, but Pastor Mike, it just doesn't feel like he's on my side. Well, then start saying what the Bible says about it. Start saying that God is for you. Start saying with God all things are possible. And I'm with God. I'm one with God just like Jesus is one with God. Because I'm in him and he's in me. You start saying that a little while. The devil will pick up his toys and go. But see we let our feelings affect us. What does it mean to let your feelings affect you? It means to sow to the flesh. It means we let our feelings dictate the way we're going to be. Well, I know I should have joy because I believe I received my healing, but I just feel down today. Start saying what the Bible says about you. How long do we do that, Pastor Mike? Until joy floods your heart. It will. So Paul says, since God before us, who can be against us? Now, is that just true for Ben and, and is that just true for flesh? Do you realize, folks, that if you look at things from God's point of view, do you realize how stupid it is for the devil to be against you? I mean, talk about picking a losing battle. The only way it's not a losing battle for him is if he can convince you or influence you to walk according to your flesh instead of the spirit. I've started relying on the Holy Ghost. To guide me into all truth. In a much, much broader way. Than I ever did before. I'm looking for the Holy Ghost. To guide me into truth. About prosperity. I'm looking for the Holy Ghost. To guide me into truth. About healing. I'm looking for the Holy Ghost. To guide me into truth. About peace. I'm looking for the Holy Ghost. To guide me into the truth. About anything and everything. And the more I put a demand on it. The more I start seeing stuff. Faith is a relationship with God. It's not a formula to get something. It's a relationship with God that's a natural thing because you're in Christ. So notice what Paul's question is. Since God is for us, who can be against us? Here's the follow-up. He that spared not his own son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me paraphrase that for you. Since he already gave us Jesus, which was his best, how can he withhold anything from you? Healing, finances, whatever it is. But see, that's what the devil tells you. The devil will speak into your ear and say, God's holding back. You know you've done everything you're supposed to do. You've done everything Pastor Mike priest, and it's not working. Something's wrong. God's holding back. It's either God's fault or there's something missing that you don't know about. Let me ask you a question, folks. How is it possible for there to be something missing that we not know about. If we're trusting the Holy Ghost to guide us into all truth. God would have to violate his word and the Holy Ghost not do his job. If we're open. To anything that we need to change. And him not tell us. Isn't that true? So how can we not. Not find out everything that we know how can we not be led by the spirit into the truth of what we need to know and what action we need to take since God before us I think a lot of us are weak on the, on the fact that God is for us why is it taking so long Pastor Mike I don't know if it's a matter of healing maybe it's taking the word a while to change things in your body how long does it take for the word to change your body I don't have an answer for that. Maybe it takes longer for some things than for other things. Maybe there are other factors involved. Brother Hagin asked the Lord one time. He told about this. He said he asked the Lord one time. He said, Lord, why did did my loved one, it was somebody in his family he was praying for. He said, why did my loved one not receive their healing? And the Lord said, are you not aware in the word where it says the secret thing belongs to the Lord? but that which is revealed to you is, belongs to you and your children? He said, yeah, that's Deuteronomy 29, 29. He said, well, that's a secret between me and her. If I'd wanted you to know, I'd have told you. He said, since I didn't tell you, it's none of your business. So don't even think about it. And then he told him this about people that he prayed for and laid hands on. He said, don't even think about whether people get, get healed when you pray for them. That's between me and them. Brother Hagin would do a marvelous job of that. I've had to remind myself of that so many times because it's so easy to take somebody's burden on yourself. It's so easy to pray for them and, and want them to be well, want them to receive, that you can get caught up in it. That's why Jesus would always take his disciples away every time they had a, a big healing campaign or crusade. Bible will tell about how Jesus would take his disciples away. Usually go to Seashore somewhere. God was into coastal and beach cities I've learned to follow that example. It's true. You start dealing with people that are sick all the time, you can start taking on the burden of sickness. Start trying to... I was talking to somebody the other day. They said they were talking to me about healing and I just preached a message on healing that fit their situation exactly. And said, Pastor Mike, you don't understand. I've laid these hands on people and seen them get well. I wanted to say, oh, I had no idea who I was talking to. You're somebody that's done great things for God. Well, why don't you just lay those hands on yourself and do another great thing for God then? But I didn't. Didn't say what I thought. (laughs) But I did ask the question. I said, do you know what you're communicating to me? You're communicating that you've done something for God and now he owes you. Really? You'd thought that Jesus would have been enough, but no, God owes you. Folks, that's what Paul's saying. Since God is for us, who can be against us? What else could there possibly be since he didn't spare his own son? Since he gave Jesus for us to do the entirety of the work, how shall he not with him also freely? That means without having to twist his arm, without having to make a deal, without having to try to manipulate him, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? God's not holding back anything. God's not holding anything back. Not a thing in the world. Faith works by love, folks. Faith faith is a relationship. It's not a formula. It's not a system. It's a relationship with God. And when you come to know your Heavenly Father the way that He wants you to know Him, faith is the simplest, most natural, easiest thing that there is. It's not a, I believe I receive, I believe I receive. It's, my Heavenly Father said this. So it can't be anything but true. And nothing in the universe can stop it from being. Because my father said it. Amen. Let's pray. Father thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith. What a privilege it is father to be doers of your word. To know you through your word. We take joy in your word father. Because it's eternal. Because it's true. Because heaven and earth will pass away before one Jot or tittle of the word fails. Thank you, Father, that you are on our side. You are with us and therefore all things are possible. Thank you, Lord, that because we're in Christ, we're seated with him in heavenly places. We are always on your side. Forgive us, Father, for wrong thinking. But teach us, Holy Spirit, and guide us how that we may think and see things in the right manner. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to know. That the creator of the universe is on our side. The creator of the universe is with us. Therefore nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is impossible. Therefore father we say that the word is working mightily in us. It's affecting a healing and a cure in our bodies. From the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. Whether long or whether short. The word is working mightily in us. Thank you father that the spirit of God is working. In a miraculous way to provide for us. To bring finances to us. To give us business deals and ideas. Thank you Father that you surround us with favor. and Cause your word to come to pass. Thank you Father because we're in Christ. We live days of heaven on earth. In Jesus precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.